I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. I usually plan for a garden that's 10 times larger than I need <laughs> and, and more than I can handle. But, you know, when I take a look at those garden catalogs, I'm also wondering, where, where were these seeds grown? Mm. I mean, are they going to do well in northern Wisconsin? Right. Or were they kind of pulled together in Kentucky someplace, mm-hmm. which has got a different climate altogether? Right. And will they do well for one of our listeners who is actually from southern Australia? Shane, good day. How are you? <laughs> um, will it do well for him down there? Well, today we have with us a couple of seed historians that work for the Seed Savers Exchange. And, and that's a nonprofit that's been around for quite a while and is focused on the preservation of heirloom seeds from all over the country. Seeds that were brought over by people who came from all kinds of places in the, in the world. They have launched a new web exhibit called The Rise of Heirloom Seeds. It was uh, announced in one of their newsletters that I opened up earlier this week, and I found it fascinating. Good morning. We have with us Sarah Strait, seed historian, and Kelly Loud, assistant seed historian with the Seed Savers Exchange. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Could you tell us, uh, Sarah, what is this web exhibit about? Well, this exhibit is uh, the, basically the culmination of a year-long grant. Kelly has spent the last year with us here researching several of the Seed Savers Exchange members who decided to begin their own seed company with the uh, focus of sharing and promoting heirloom varieties to their customers and raising awareness about, about heirloom seeds in general. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find so fascinating from being able to correspond with so many of these people is that a lot of them never even considered gardening until they were in their 30s or 40s. A lot of them were software developers or teachers or, in one case, a PhD in molecular biology, and through different means they found their way to getting their hands dirty in the soil and wanting to share that love of trying new varieties and especially heirloom seeds with with their patrons. Well, let's take a little step back. First, Sarah, you are uh, the seed to the the senior seed historian. Um, why did you get involved in seed saving? What was it that prompted you? Well, I am a Midwest native. I grew up in Iowa on a dairy farm. So agriculture has always been part of, of my life, um, but it was an internship after college, actually, at a 
the Arnold Arboretum outside of Boston that basically made me realize that plants have history, unique histories. Uh, they've come from all different places around the globe, or they might have specific histories in a, a region. And discovering the various trees and, and shrubs and plants in that Arboretum's collection was pretty eye-opening. And then I realized that, wait a second, there's this fantastic organization not far from where I grew up that is basically promoting the histories of, of seeds and trying to encourage new gardeners and, and get people excited about gardening and seed saving. Well, Kelly, before we get to your background, let me interject that Seed Savers Exchange, uh, which is uh, based in Decorah, Iowa, is a member organization. Um, I think you've got 13,000 people who have uh, ordered from Seed Savers Exchange, who've participated in this exchange. And uh, the, the number of varieties that are of concern and preserved by Seed Savers Exchange numbers into, I think, 20,000. I became aware of Seed Savers Exchange, oh jeepers, it was over 30 years ago, and uh, went to one of the campouts that they had at that time, which was held in, I think, a Boy Scout camp. I mean, that's where we stayed, in, on bunks in Boy Scout camps. And a Seed Savers was, was still in its early years. Um, a major activity while I was at this camp out, which happens every summer, is to bring along seeds and exchange them with other people there and to learn their stories. And that really gets us to the kind of work that you've been doing over the last year. Kelly, Kelly, give us a little bit of your background and, and exactly what you've been doing as part of the uh, information gathering. So I come from an archaeology and museum collections background. So when I saw my position that opened up uh, at Seed Savers Exchange, it was just a perfect fit. I, over the last year, I have been looking through the bits of information that people have sent in over the years with their seeds. You know, it might be a donor letter, it might be a photograph. Sometimes we have a lot and sometimes we don't have a whole lot. So what I do is I reconnect with these donors, and I try to preserve as much of the story that belongs with that seed as possible. A lot of the time people hear seed story and they might get a little intimidated, you know, envisioning something like Gone with the Wind, right? But really a seed story is just hearing what person, what that person's relationship with that seed is. It might just be, you know, they got it from their grandma and their grandma used so-and-so tomato to make spaghetti every year. Then what I do is I turn around and I write that story down in a place where we can preserve it and hopefully inspire new gardeners to try those varieties. You know, that's what's so amazing to me is I was thinking about your web exhibit and just thinking about seed savers, is that it's, it's, it's about seeds, seeds that we mm -hmm. need to preserve, and they tend to be open-pollinated heirloom seeds. And we'll go into that open pollinated portion in a second. But it's really about people and families' connection to something that they would perpetuate, you know, season after season. Uh, and so those stories, you're right, Kelly, they can be as, as simple as, hey, this is what my grandma grew. This is what I grew up with in my garden. Or it can be, 
I brought this back from a trip to Russia. Um, and, it, and it's about stories. And sometimes most of us don't think about seeds and gardening and stories in the same breath. But it, it is about that, isn't it? Culture and, and it's a whole lot more than just food. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that makes Seed Savers Exchange so unique is that we're really focused on cultivated varieties. We're not necessarily focused on preserving everything that you'd find in a forest. And so when we have these cultivated varieties, it makes us, like you're saying, very cultural. We get to know the backgrounds behind the people, and those stories are as important as the varieties themselves. You know, everybody sends, a lot of people send in pumpkins. They say, this is my... This is the best pie pumpkin in the world, right? Sometimes that's up for debate, mm -hmm. but we do get to hear the stories that maybe do make those stories the best pie pumpkin for that person. We get to hear where their grandma got it or get that recipe and be able to turn around and bring it into our own homes. Now, both Kelly and Sarah, that is really how Seed Savers started, didn't it? I mean, can you give us a really quick uh, thumbnail kind of description of, of how that how Seed Savers began? Of course. Uh, we were founded in 1975 by Diane and Kent Whaley, who were newly married at the time and really hadn't done much gardening. But Diane's grandfather, Grandpa Ott, shared with them two seeds that had been passed down in the family. Grandpa Ott's own parents had brought them to Iowa in the 1870s, when they immigrated from Bavaria. And it was at that time that Diane and Kent realized how uh, fragile that, that stewardship could be if there was not another generation to uh, begin gardening and growing these varieties. So that essentially was kind of a light bulb moment for them, and they wondered how many other people in the United States might be in uh, a similar position, having a, a treasured family heirloom variety and wanting to be able to preserve it for the future. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And I and I met uh, Ken and Diane, I think it was, oh my goodness, it must have been like 1983 or so when I uh, kind of joined up the seat with Seed Savers and, and began attending some of those early campouts. Now, you've gone from that um, first couple of seeds and, and varieties uh, that started at Seed Savers. And it now, as I mentioned before, uh, has gotten the participation of, of tens of thousands of people and you've got 20,000 varieties. How does that seed saving work? I mean, how does one become involved in seed saving? Right. Well, in the very beginning, Diane and Kent um, were trying to build a gardening community where people could connect with each other and share and, and trade seeds. And over the years, it's grown. Uh, today, we have a seed bank collection of, of the over 20,000 varieties, as you mentioned, because they started to hear from folks, in, even in those early days, uh, hearing from folks who had a variety but no longer had the means to garden, and they wanted those be preserved. So Kent and Diane began accepting seeds and the collection grew here. But we've always kept the gardening network, which 
we call the exchange, we've always kept that going. And today we have um, several hundred folks who are actively participating in that and trading seeds. And the easiest way to become familiar with what the exchange is um, is probably to browse through our website because it's its own online platform. And it has a fairly easy URL, simply exchange.seedsavers.org. But there you can browse all of the seeds that people in the exchange have that they want to trade with other folks. And the variety is really mind-boggling. There's thousands of different vegetable and fruit varieties available there. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's really wonderful about it is that over the last year, how many people I've interviewed who have said that almost all their friends are people that they've met through the exchange or through Seed Savers Exchange events. One of our coworkers, Nick, has started participating. The exchange is a free resource, so he started participating to find things to grow in his own yard. And now he has all these friends across the country who have just started sending him things that they think he'll like. Hmm. Different pink sweet potatoes and fun watermelons. It's a really good way to find things that you enjoy to eat and also a way to meet people that you have a lot in common with. Do you have to have something to trade or how does that work? Nope. All you have to do is go on and take a look. Sometimes you might have never gardened before and you don't have something that you really want to share. That's totally fine. If you are looking to find XYZ bean, sunflower, watermelon, you can go on, take a look, and correspond with people who have listed those things online. A lot of them have really beautiful photographs get in contact with them, say, hey, I'm really interested in your mammoth sunflower. Is that possible to send? And usually they will happily share it with you. Maybe you just cover some of the shipping and go from there. It is an amazing exchange. I remember uh, when most of it was on uh, available in hardback, the, the book that I would get every year, listing these many, many varieties was over an inch thick. So I'm mm -hmm. really glad that you've gone to an online um, resource. And one of the things that was so wonderful was that you could look for, let's say, a big beef heart tomato. And one of the things I would do was try to find a source that was in my same climate mm -hmm. so that it would be more likely to succeed given my temperature range and, you know, precipitation pattern. One of the things that uh, either you, uh, Sarah, or Kelly mentioned is that the people that are featured on your web exhibit called The Rise of Heirloom Seeds, they uh, come from a variety of backgrounds. Mm -hmm. As you said, one of them is a PhD. Some of them were in farming. Others had never planted a, a, a seed before. And could you just kind of list the, the uh, people and, and uh, companies that are currently on your exhibit? Sure. Um, let's see. So we've got Suzanne Ashworth has been a really longtime member. She runs Del Rio Botanicals. T 
Tom Wagner, who you might recognize as the as the Green Zebra breeder. He runs Tater Mater Seeds. And could you give Craig, the could you give the the location of their companies? Absolutely. So Suzanne Ashworth is out of uh, Sacramento, California. Tom Wagner is out of Seattle, Washington. Craig Dremen runs Redwood City Seeds, and he's in Redwood City, California. Alan and Linda Capular run Peace Seeds. They're in Corvallis, Oregon. Landis Valley Village and Farm Museum is out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Bill McDorman uh, with High Altitude Garden Seeds, Seeds Trust, they've actually moved to Denver, Colorado. Uh, Glenn Drowns has been with Seed Savers Exchange for the longest time. He is with Sand Hill Preservation Center down in Calamus, Iowa. Steve Sando at Rancho Gordo is in Napa Valley, California, and Mike Dunton at Victory Seeds is in Malala, Oregon. One of the things I found so interesting in reading their short um, biographies um, was that some of them have become not only seed companies but, as, but associated nonprofits. Some have gone mm -hmm. into the restaurant business. Many of them are providing seeds for restaurants and other uh, farm communities. So these, these people are from so many backgrounds. And one of the key messages that I get from this is that you don't have to be a farmer to save seeds, do you? No, you can do seed saving from a windowsill. If you have a pot and something small like an aurora pepper or basil that you cook with, plant it in your pot, enjoy those delicious varieties all summer, and then once you're coming to the end of it, allowing those plants to come to maturity and simply grabbing the seeds. Peppers are a little bit more involved, but basil is such a great place to start. All you do is wait till the seed pods have dried out a little bit and winnow maybe some of the chaff out, put the seeds in a cool, dark place, and you get to enjoy those varieties for all of the seasons to come. Well, if someone wants to take a look at this online exhibit to, to learn about these people and what they've done and maybe a bit more about their companies, where in the Seed Savers Exchange website do they go? The easiest way, I think, to find that would be to go onto the Seed Savers Exchange site. That's seedsavers.org. At the top, there's a resources tab, and you'll find a link to the Rise of Heirloom Seeds exhibit underneath that tab. Now, there are, we talked a lot about vegetables. Are flowers available as well? Mm-hmm. There are quite a few members who are listing annual flowers or even perennials on the exchange. So you can find a pretty wide array of both vegetables and some fruits and trees as well as flowers. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that was so much fun uh, many, well, it was several years ago now, wherein um, the Seed Savers Exchange is based, as, as we mentioned a little earlier, in Decorah, Iowa, on nearly 900 acres. Um, a number of years ago, 
that uh, that acreage came to include a wonderful apple orchard. And so it wasn't that long ago, was it, ladies, that uh, we you began to offer apple varieties as well? That's right. We have a orchard of over a thousand different trees. Actually, two orchards now because we have created a second one. We we decided we were running out of room with the first, but we will take cuttings from the newest growth of those tree branches, usually a cutting about the diameter of a pencil and oh, maybe six inches long. And for people who request that, it's called scion wood, for folks who request that through the exchange, we will mail it out to them. And you can pick from um, quite a few different apple varieties from our orchard. Not all of the trees are large enough to take those cuttings from, but we try to offer as many as we are able. Another really great resource with the apple orchards is we have an annual apple grafting workshop that'll be coming up in the spring. That's run by Lindsay Lee, who is a phenomenal apple enthusiast connoisseur. You know, you've hit on something so important, um, which is the notion of education. And that's one of the things that Seed Savers Exchange has done so well over the years and gets better at it. And that's letting all of us understand, how do I do this successfully? How do I um, save tomato seeds? How do I do green peppers? How do I uh, deal with squash, which is a whole different kind of, of um, pollinating method, so that the seeds remain pure? Because that is an important aspect, isn't it? It is. If, if someone decides to grow more than one type of squash in their garden or more than one type of bean, there are definitely a few guidelines um, to follow to make sure that the genetics of those multiple varieties don't become mixed up with each other. It's something that... Uh, is amazing to see that kind of separation of varieties so that you don't get cross-pollination. If you were to go visit the Seed Savers Exchange Gardens in Decorah, Iowa. Well, on our 890 acres, we have a, a variety of both open meadows and wooded hillsides. We have cattle grazing in pastures scattered across the property. But we use the hilly terrain to our advantage by creating multiple gardens um, some distance apart from each other so that we can isolate varieties by distance. Maybe we'll have one pepper, one tomato, one squash, one bean you know, in, in one garden, and then a quarter mile away do that same lineup in another garden. But there are other ways to isolate varieties that you might be growing near each other. We utilize um, nylon tents, essentially. Think of it as a, it's, it's a see-through tent, but it is completely zipped up and it contains, we'll plant all of one variety within it. So one variety is contained within this tent. And there might be five different squash in one garden, but each under its own tent, and the pollinators inside those individual tents 
will pollinate the different squash. Right, so separation is key. If you happen to be a home gardener, um, there are other kind of techniques and strategies that you can use to isolate your variety so that you don't have the crossover, because that's the thing that we really don't want, that cross-pollination. And that is, in fact, one of the strengths and one of the desirable attributes of saving seeds is saving an open pollinated variety because those are the ones that are most threatened when you take a look uh, if you should take a look at uh, many of the catalogs you'll notice that many of the seeds are marked as hybrid that's not the same as an open pollinated seed a hybrid seed will not produce to um, true form one generation after the other an open pollinated one will, as long as you keep them well isolated from one another. And if you're a gardener, there are lots of resources available to you to sort of find out more, both on the Seed Saver sites and also on some of the books that Seed Savers offers. So that is seedsavers.org. Some really great resources along with the exhibit are both found under the resources tab at the top really easy to find. Underneath, you'll also find gardening and seed saving resources. This can help you with anything from how to start your seeds inside, what things you want to plant in fall, plant care, uh, growing guides, crop by crop information. This is a really wonderful place to start if you're a beginner or if you've been growing things for 50 years. One of the books that we really like to recommend is The Seed Garden. That is also a crop-by-crop -crop breakdown of how to grow and save seeds. One of the things I thought of is a lot of people have maybe plants that they remember from grandma and grandpa's house or something like that that, uh, that are no longer available. Is there a, uh, a way to uh, browse through what's available and with pictures and stuff like that? Sure. The exchange that Sarah was talking about earlier is a really good place to look. The easiest way to do that is to go on, and there's a really easy search bar at the top. Um, in addition to being able to look up names, most people who list on the exchange also list photographs. So you might be able to say, oh yeah, this is the exact bean I've been looking for for 10 years or something like that. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks. <laughs>